Hello and welcome back to Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. I'm your host, Keith, and today we'll be picking up from where we left off going through the setup of Dungeons & Dragons campaign, world, and the parts of a game and role you'll need to be aware of to become Dungeon Master. Today, we're focusing on an aspect of setting and world design and development. Deities. Now, when we're thinking about settings and worlds, there are a lot of things to consider beyond deities and pantheons as well, so this will likely be the first of a few episodes focused around understanding and developing settings and worlds. I know that I personally enjoy this aspect of the Dungeon Master's role, but I also know that it can be one of the most time-consuming aspects of preparing for long campaigns. Before we get into the main aspects that are considered important to the game's settings, I also think it's important to talk about a couple more things about general world-building. Sometimes, building a world need not be a huge endeavor. It can be very fun and interesting to build a world through rough ideas and a bit of improvisation as the players cross different adventures and uh, as different players across different adventures, even, uh, and campaigns, build the world with you through their actions. A simple map, a few names, and a few major touching points that can be filled in as the map is explored can make for a dynamic world that feels as if it revolves around the players. It doesn't need to be one way or the other, but if you find yourself more interested in and capable of improvisational dungeon mastering than planning ahead for some of these aspects, that's just another way that it can be done and can result in the same amazing worlds and adventures. I like to do a bit of a mixture of intense planned world building and improvisation. Oftentimes I focus on the same details that are called out in the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th edition, but I'll throw in a few of my own, especially around political entities, cities, and kingdoms. The core assumptions outlined by the DM's Guide establish some general expectations that are usually shared by players in many campaigns and they tend to form the core basis of the innumerable worlds we play in. First, it is assumed that gods oversee the world in some way, shape, or form. This is going to be our topic today, so we'll go into it more later. It is also assumed that much of the world is unknown and untamed, a wilderness untouched by civilization, this is usually because monsters may exist or political issues may make it such that large areas are unclaimed and untouched. In a world of magic and monsters, it is difficult to eke out a new village and existence without a significant level of defense. It's assumed that wild regions are everywhere and that they fill the space between smaller cities and kingdoms, typically. It is also assumed that the world is ancient, or at the very least, old. This means empires have risen and fallen. Kingdoms may have ancient lineages or be built upon the crumbling ruins of a past civilization. Cities may be new 
ancient, built above millennia old tombs and crumbling ruins, or anywhere in between. Part of this is to give your adventurers a dungeon to explore. It's in the name, after all. These ruins and ancient remnants provide dangers, color to the world, and dungeons filled with magic, traps, and ancient secrets. It also means that history can be muddled and unclear. How old are these ruins? Are they from ten years ago, a hundred, a thousand, or more? The collapse of a kingdom or empire would often plunge the world or that section of it into a chaotic time period similar to the Dark Ages of the real world. While civilization continued just fine and technology even progressed, there was a great deal of war and problems in the wake of the fall of the Western Roman Empire, and as part of that, we lack a certain knowledge of the time period. It would likely be the same, such that the collapse of a kingdom or empire would lead to a lack of knowledge around that time period. And along that lines, much like a great deal of the real world's history, the assumption is that the world your game takes place in is shaped by conflict. Wars, monsters, ancient dragons that have a vendetta, and other problems that plague nations and cities have shaped the world's history. I find that this needs an additional assumption as well, of a similar vein. These conflicts are assumed to have motivations and reasons. These motivations will often reoccur and cause additional conflicts. It is important, in my opinion, to know the why of a conflict in order to place it in the narrative and to help guide the adventurers towards solutions and quests, as well as the problems they may face or be asked to face by NPCs. Is it an age-old conflict, a personal vendetta that's gone too far, or the ramifications of a past conflict? What the why is doesn't really matter so much as the fact that it is there. Knowing the why helps the adventurers know how to solve new solution, new problems with new solutions. Finally, the last assumption made by most worlds is that the world is magical. This means that magic practitioners exist, magical items can make it into the hands of the bold, and spells can be cast for battle, healing, or utility. This is a core assumption, partly because several of the classes that adventurers may take are spellcasters. My second personal addendum as far as assumptions go is a simple one. It is assumed in these worlds that there are heroes. People of significant strength and importance who can shape world events. They can bring about world-shattering calamities or prevent them. These heroes may eventually be the adventurers, but typically not at the start. But past adventurers, past and current people of import, and past, current, and future opponents of the adventurers are generally a cut above the rest in terms of abilities. These mythical, heroic, or villainous figures must exist in a world for Dungeons & Dragons if we're building that kind of a narrative. Brave tomb robbers and explorers, kings and queens leading their armies to war, 
and adventurers solving problems in creative ways are all essential to the world's function, even if they may not be immediately recognized for it. The degree to each of these, and even the inclusion or subversion of these assumptions, is another thing that we will discuss in a future episode, but suffice to say that almost all of the players come in with most of these assumptions, and it's good to keep that in mind whichever direction you choose to go during your world building. But it is also important to know that as the dungeon master and the creator of a world like this, you have the option of including these assumptions or not. So with that preamble out of the way, let's begin discussing our main topic for this episode, deities and pantheons. There can be quite a bit that goes into this aspect of a world, but the role it can play depends quite a bit on the story you're telling. In some cases, the deities, gods, and spirits of a world will take a direct role in the story being told. In others, they may be so distant that their very existence is brought into question, or you may even have developed a world without gods at all. These are all things to consider. Regardless of the degree of influence the gods and similar creatures exert over the world, societies often have some form of belief system either as a part of society and culture, or as an organized form of religion. It is also important to outline some of the basics of each of these if you're interested in building a realistic feeling around the worship or religion of your NPCs and adventurers in your world. Pre-made scenarios and worlds, such as the Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk settings, typically have some form of pantheon or religious system set up and it is often assumed that it exists in some form of a custom world as well. In many of these pre-built settings, the gods follow what is referred to as a loose pantheon in a polytheistic religion, or pantheistic religion. The gods are often related to each other, though only loosely. They may be friends, enemies, lovers, or even family. These kinds of loose pantheons often interact with each other, but the followers of one god or subgroup of gods do not pay respects or service to the other gods. A direct juxtaposition of this is tight pantheons, as they are also a polytheistic approach to religion. Some established worlds may have tight pantheons within the larger loose pantheon, or even just a single tight pantheon or some amount of them. Often, these are traded as racial pantheons, such as the elven gods, which are only worshipped by elves, human gods only worshipped by humans, and orcish gods, and so on. These tight pantheons would act a bit differently. Rather than a single deity being revered at a time by a group of followers with the begrudging acknowledgement of other gods, the entire group of a tight pantheon is treated as revered. A single or small number of gods may have prominence, or a person may have a favored deity among the tight pantheon, but they will typically pay respects to all of them. They will even likely pay lip service to the ostracized members of a tight pantheon. Think Hades in Greek mythology. Many people would pay lip service to Hades, but not outright worship him. 
Loose pantheons are the most common when people think about Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that uh, 4th edition actually played a major role in this. 4th edition had a loose pantheon baked into the core rulebooks. It is frequently thought of as a world where many gods exist, and their existence is undeniable. They may even walk the land from time to time. However, it is expected that followers of one god may be friendly, tolerant, or outright hostile towards any other god's followers. But, there are more varieties of religious aspects and structures than just polytheistic or pantheistic or even henotheistic pantheons. Henotheistic is where they don't deny other gods. Each of these could be one of the many religions in your world, or even the only religion in your world. Monotheistic, dualistic, or animistic religions could populate the realm, or could have dom dominated it. For each of these, let's give a little bit of background, just in case you're unaware of what those terms mean, and how they might fit in with Dungeons & Dragons. Monotheism you're probably familiar with. It is a way to describe religions that proclaim there is a single god, and that god is the only one which exists. In a world like Dungeons & Dragons, where the gods may have verifiable appearances or influence on the world, this may either be a single religion that dominates the whole world, and thus all influence of the gods is that one god, or, the followers of a monotheistic faith may claim that all gods are different aspects of the god they revere. They may also believe that all other gods are demons, devils, some other non-deity -power, non powerful entity, or lesser gods that have tricked followers into believing in them over their one true god. Now, Dualistic religions involve the identification of two opposing deities, often tied to opposing forces or ideas. And these opposing forces and ideas will continually interact with each other. At times, this may be light and dark, good and evil, or even chaos and order. However, there are a great many different dual forces in Dungeons and & Dragons, and in a world that you create, that can be used to create the push and pull of the two forces. It could even outright be push and pull. You don't need to go even further than that. These kinds of religions identify two prime deities, but beyond that, they're very open to how they handle things. Some dualistic religions may identify lesser gods or spirits, or they may even be a sort of polytheistic, in which each god is assigned a role and a side in the dualism war that they participate in, and as such they are considered to be subordinates of one of those two prime deities. Additionally, the interaction between the two forces may be a war or battle that rages continually, but it need not be so violent. It could be an unending cycle that is unavoidable, a push and pull that, if it were to ever stop, would destroy creation. And as such, both deities are needed for the world we live in. Or it could even be a give and take, where the two forces actually cooperate with each other in order to avoid either of them being overwhelmed or subsumed or taken over. 
The mere interaction is what matters here, and the fact that aspects and features fall on one side or the other, pushing mortals to choose. Animistic religions focus on the idea of spirits and deities that may reside in specific objects, locations, or people. Many of these can be further subdivided, depending on how they handle these deities and spirits. Some religions will assign spirits to locations or specific places. Oftentimes, these are local deities that may reside within a single city, within a temple, or a forest or a river, or something akin to locations of import. These deities are then often revered by any who live in that area or who are visiting or passing through. An animist of a religion which adheres to these beliefs may make an offering to the spirit of a forest while traveling, even if they've never visited before. If they are not familiar with a spirit, they would likely still seek to placate it. They may make an offering to a local shrine and a local city's specific god after arriving in a new city and may pay homage to that local deity. Other animist religions include fetishist religions, wherein deities are often represented and housed within specific iconographic statues or fetishes which represent their divinity. These fetishes then take the place of those deities and hold a seat of prominence and power. Many religions of this sort are treated as a sort of personal god to adherence. A follower would likely only revere the spirits pertaining to them and them alone, and may even house them within their own home. But they would likely respect the spirits of another. Such as when visiting another person's home. Animism also includes shamanistic religions, wherein a shaman is able to commune with the gods of the world around them and acts as the conduit between the real and the spiritual, or perhaps even houses the gods within them. An additional animistic approach is the belief of spirits residing in all things. This includes locations like rivers, as well as fetishes, as well as everyday objects. From rivers to a smith hammer, each item has a god or spirit that governs it and resides within. Each of these religious aspects could exist in the same world, filling different needs for different societies, and that brings us to an important discussion topic. How do you match a religious identity to a society? How do you decide what a group or a person follows within the boundaries of your Dungeons & Dragons world. Many times a religion is determined by childhood and society. People are born into a religion and taught to follow it, and it becomes a part of their identity. It may change later in life, but there are some things to consider in Dungeons & Dragons outside of that. The gods may be completely present in the world, or completely absent. And as such, the person in question may be one who experiences something directly influenced by or even by directly interacting with a god. Or they may have been unexposed to religion at all until much later in life. So, what is the defining reason for them to have a religion or for a large religion to organize? A religion often involves 
resolving something needed by a community. Either an explanation that they can't provide otherwise, a, a sense of community, or a way to guide the society at large towards a common goal. Does this religion explain a phenomenon caused by the gods? Something that exists within your world that cannot be explained by anything else? The creation of the world. Something else that may be unique to that area. In a part of the world without many magic practitioners, except those who derive their abilities from nature itself, could animist followers believe that druids and rangers are friends of the spirits and akin to clerics? Could it be in a world where magic is only practiced by clerics and priests that magic itself is seen as divine work? Each of these are possible questions to ask and possible ways to explore how religion exists within your world. But the important thing is to figure out the reason behind that religion's existence. They may, there may be a single person to blame, a, a kingdom, some outside force. It may have emerged naturally. Or it could be something else that specifically attempted to form its own religion for some reason or another. Many times these questions can pave the way towards developing other parts of the world. Or even become story elements. The cleric uncovering that the god of the only monotheistic faith in the world may actually be a sham used to create opposition to the churches itself, or that their holy power comes from their own faith, could make for a great character arc. It could even set up that temple as an opponent of the adventurers, or at least a possible opponent or enemy that may seek to hinder them. It could even be the big bad. Understanding the reason behind a god or religion can make the world make more sense to both you, the creator, or guide of it, as well as the adventurers within. It helps to understand the motivations of the temples and religions of the world, and how they may come into play in the story of it all. This includes understanding the fact that some religions may be enemies of other followers, or even be the target of political opponents or a secret evil cult seeking to remove their god from prominence and power. This also allows adventurers to become friendly with some sects, religious groups, or temples of some sort as a way to give them a sort of boon. Being on good terms with a widespread religion may even allow them a chance to restore health or access to some form of implements or tools that they otherwise may not have been given access to. This could make their future endeavors even easier, but could also expand their list of enemies. It can also be important to understand the role a religion takes within a country. Is it a foreign religion that has been half-heartedly embraced by a non-religious society? Or is it local and tightly connected to the governing bodies? In the instance of a theocracy, it can be even more important to more fully flesh out a religion. Given the role of both religion and governance that the priesthood takes in theocracies, that is a govern government run by the religious organization. The tenets or beliefs of a religion can be ent the entire reason behind sections of a campaign or a major adventure. The more you can plan around the basic tenets, structures, goals, and behavior of a religion, the more you can incorporate it into other aspects of the world and the adventure or campaign. 
When it comes to the gods or pantheons themselves, I actually find that there's only a handful of things to keep in mind here. What do they govern? It's a big question, but it's a simple one. What do they govern? And that means looking into what a god is in terms of D&D. Oftentimes, these gods will take over a certain domain. And in a world where fire magic is its own subsection, a god of fire and a god of magic may be working together, may be enemies, but oftentimes will be separate entities. They may not be all the time, but oftentimes will be. And it becomes important to outline what the domain of a god is. Uh... What do they govern? And what cleric domain does that mean in terms of the game rules? Now, when you're looking at some of these faiths, animism, it could be nearly anything. Uh, they could they could look at a domain and just say, I just happen to have a good affinity that with all of the gods and spirits that govern this specific type of magic. Whereas in a monotheistic faith, it doesn't matter. There is one god, and therefore the cleric, cleric domain is always going to be handled by that one god. And then dualism, the cleric domain might, might inform people of exactly on which side of the unending battle that cleric falls. It's also important to understand how involved the gods are with the world, with their followers, and any religion that focuses around them. How do they interact with and feel about other prominent gods or deities or spirits? This helps you to place the gods in the world and helps you to define history around either the actions of the religious or the religion gr religious groups or the influence of the gods themselves. There could be a definite era where it is shaped by the influence of certain gods. And in dualism or uh, similar faiths, you could even outline eras that cycle between the two. In this era, this one god was in power and the world was plunged into chaos and darkness and cities fell, empires warred against each other, and chaos reigned supreme. But the god of order came back, and the next era was ushered in as peace began to calm and reign, and the wars subsided, and the world recovered. And you could even outline history in this term, in terms of these kinds of push-and-pull eras. A monotheistic faith may outline history based on the foundation of their faith and keep track of records themselves. Animist faiths may even be kind of background faiths, not, not necessarily playing a major role, but having a definite influence on the world and the people within it. There is one thing that I would like to say before we go, which is the... Uh, everybody has all of the memes about the rogues that are always edgelords and uh, ruining things. I want to say that there can be a 
opportunity for religion to play too prominent of a role in a game. And it can be important to catch this before it happens, which is when, um, well, a cleric or paladin or some very religious character uses their religion as an excuse to, in short, be a jerk. And while it's it's something that uh, likely happens, it's another one of those instances where if you see this happening, I want you to know that you don't need to take religion out of your game. You don't need to pull it back. You don't need to alter the world. This is an instance where you need to have a chat with your players. You need to sit down and talk to them. I've said this before, and I will say it endlessly, and I may get angrier and angrier if it continues to be an issue. Uh, but I'm kidding. I won't. Uh, but it is always the case. If you see problems like this arising, talk with them. Don't take it as a failure on you. Don't take it as something personal. Don't take it as you need to <clears throat> abandon religious aspects from your world building. They can really add a lot of depth they can add a lot of narrative intensity, and they can add a lot to the world. And I hope that that encourages you to feel more comfortable building out your own gods, pantheons, religions, and similar aspects of your world, and using them as a way to help identify a lot of the reasons behind conflicts, or kingdoms, or even character growth. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Running the Table, a podcast all about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. I really encourage you to build a pantheon for any world that you are building, or even build a pantheon for an existing world and just add that little touch of yourself in there. But again, I hope that you have enjoyed listening, and if you have any questions comments, concerns, or suggestions that you would like to address about the show, please send them. Send them as many times as you want to rttpodcast at gmail.com. I swear I will read them right away. You can also follow at Running the Table on Twitter for updates and announcements. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Such as for this episode, we are releasing on a Tuesday because of the holiday. I announced this on Twitter yesterday, uh, and I hope that you were able to catch that. All right. Thank you again, and until next time, have fun running your own tables.